Well, it's been an interesting 24 hours. You see, within the last 24 hours, we released our Jelly Bean podcast. That was a podcast about jelly bean use as a screening alternative to the 50-gram oral glucose tolerance test in pregnancy. And I've received several emails, several voicemails, and some texts from people who have my mobile number about this issue. Ashley, Nicole, thanks for your voicemail. I received it, and you're absolutely right. Look, this is a really big issue because some women just can't take this test, and there's so many things online and different combinations and what candy to use and what kind of fruit to use as an alternative to the 50-gram oral glucose tolerance screen. Well, what are we supposed to do in these cases? I mean, if somebody just can't take it or refuses to take it, are we supposed to force them to take the 50-gram challenge? Or are there real legitimate alternatives? So, Ashley, Nicole, I appreciate what you're doing out there in the field. I mean, it's tough. So let's try to cut through the chatter and get through this episode and give you a true alternative, if there's any, to the 50-gram glucose tolerance test. Hi, this is Tiffany Wilson, nurse practitioner with Student Health Services, Texas A&M University, and this is Clinical Pearls. Gestational diabetes. I mean, it has real morbidity. Macrosomia and shoulder dystocia is terrible. And so we've got to identify these women who have either impaired glucose tolerance or true gestational diabetes so we can try to put them in some kind of management, either diet or medical therapy, to try to avoid these adverse outcomes. But, you know, testing for gestational diabetes at 24 to 28 weeks, well, really was just rooted in history and not so much in evidence because we may be testing at the wrong time. I mean, who knows when the right time is to test for gestational diabetes? Yes, the argument is made for human placental lactogen, and at around 24 to 28 weeks, we think that that's the highest concentration in the system, and that's what's causing the impaired glucose tolerance, the insulin resistance. But remember that right now, data is being collected and being analyzed that's actually following glucose levels by the wearable glucometers, starting at enrollment in the first trimester for prenatal care, and then walking all the way through into the third trimester. So these new wearable glucose monitors that provide this constant map, this constant chart, is really changing the landscape because this trial, again, for pregnant women, may actually change when we test for gestational diabetes. But as of right now, we're left with the tradition of 24 to 28 weeks. In yesterday's podcast, we talked about the jelly bean study from 1999. But here's the rest of the story. You see, these authors and further researchers wanted to check to see if these 28 jelly beans that women consumed as an alternative to the 50-gram test really had the 50 grams of glucose that we thought they had. Well, the researchers took that specific brand of jelly bean and sent 28 to a lab for analysis. The total dose to provide 50 grams of simple sugars was actually 72 grams of carbohydrates total. So they found that the amount of simple sugars in each batch of the 28 jelly beans actually varied, which meant that it was hard for providers to accurately recommend a certain number of jelly beans to match the glucola drink because the amount of sugar in each little jelly bean is just not standard. You know, so here's the issue. Why don't some of these candy makers make a uniform medical test alternative? I mean, that'd be easy, right? I mean, there just isn't. So here's an idea. So I'm throwing this out to you. Let's go into business, guys. Let's do choppa chocolates. All right, here you go. 
For just $10.99, you can get a little bag of Chapa Chocolates. It's 50 grams, and you chug it down, and they taste delicious. They come in chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. I don't know if strawberry chocolate is a thing, but it will be for Chapa Chocolates. And if they order in a limited amount of time, they get a free subscription. That's free subscription to a free podcast for a year. I know the podcast is free, but it's a free subscription anyway. That's right. Chapa Chocolates. It's coming your way. So be on the lookout. No, that was weird. That was just a joke. I don't know what happened there. Let's get back to the message. Now, we have to be clear here that some candies, in addition to jelly beans, have also been offered as an alternative. But these candy alternatives have the same issue as the jelly beans. And that's that it's hard to standardize the amount of sugar in a certain piece of candy and how much candy do you actually take. So these candy alternatives have also been examined, again, as a 50-gram alternative. But the studies have served only for screening and not even for a diagnostic test, which means that even if they do fail a candy test or a Twizzler test or a jelly bean test, they still have to do the 100-gram oral glucose tolerance test because there's nothing that looks for diagnostic alternatives. All of these alternatives, for some reason, have focused on the screening 50-gram alternative. Okay, so Ashley, here's where we're at. So people who object to drinking the standard glucose beverage because of either the additives or the preservatives or just the nausea and vomiting that can result from it may prefer to measure out exactly the equivalent grams of glucose or dextrose and then mix them in eight ounces of water. Now, that's not real evidence-based, but there is some data for that. But at least you actually measure out 50 grams of dextrose or glucose and then mix it in no more than eight ounces of water. Now remember, to be standardized, these drinks should be taken within five minutes and no more than 10 minutes or their validity may be compromised. Well, so this is a good question, first of all. Well, if that's just so easy to do that, why doesn't everybody do that? Why do we do this glucola? Well, because anytime that you introduce human error into the game, I mean, we don't want somebody to actually spill a little bit and gets 45 grams or gives too much and gives 55. So the idea of having a pre-made 50-gram solution of glucola, once again, the key word is standardization. So yes, you could make your own, but you have to be very, very accurate and you have to make sure that your scale is obviously calibrated to make sure that you're getting 50 grams. So you see, there's are, there are alternatives there, but anytime you introduce a possibility of human error makes you question the test. Now, let's stick with this idea here of buying glucose or dextrose over the counter or online because, yep, you can buy dextrose on Amazon. You can also get it in vitamin stores. You can get it in some organic stores. I mean, it's out there. I mean, everything is out there, right? However, if you're looking for the evidence in the literature to support this option, it's just not there. These are usually small individual studies or very small cohorts or case studies. But ACOG just doesn't have any statement on that because it can be a very slippery slope. So right now, here's where we're at. The research on alternatives is very limited at this time. And for some reason, the alternatives to the 50 gram have only focused on the 50 gram on the screening and not even the diagnostic test. So we have to inform patients of that. Look, let's say you do the jelly bean deal and fine, you convince me to do it and you do it, but you fail. Well, you still have to do the 100 gram. Remember, because that's not how you diagnose diabetes. You still have to do the two-step. 
So now we're left with that other challenge. So it gets into this hairy picture of where does it stop? Now, here's a good place for us to stop and just talk about hemoglobin A1c. Because hemoglobin A1c, if done in the first trimester in some very high-risk patients, so for example, the morbidly obese patient, a Hispanic, African-American, a patient who's had a previous macrosomic child or previous repetitive histories of gestational diabetes, I mean, that patient needs to be screened early. And remember, ACOG and SMFM recommend early testing using the 50-gram glucose tolerance test. But at this time, let's say it's eight weeks or 10 weeks or any time in the first trimester, and you order a hemoglobin A1c, and that hemoglobin A1c is 10. Well, I mean, that patient has true diabetes, I mean, likely class B diabetes. And so that's where it's helpful. But if hemoglobin A1c is normal, specifically done at 24 to 28 weeks, that doesn't mean she doesn't have gestational diabetes because she may be in its development and hemoglobin A1c hasn't reflected that yet. Remember, of course, that it takes about 60 to 90 days for those glycosylated changes to form on hemoglobin and for you to measure it. So while hemoglobin A1c, if normal at 24 to 28 weeks, is reassuring, it definitely doesn't mean that she's not at risk or won't develop gestational diabetes because you won't know that until three months later when the glycosylated hemoglobin can now be abnormal and actually measured above the 6.5 cutoff. All right, so let's recap here, Ashley. Here's what we're talking about. Don't want to do the 50-gram test. I'm just not going to do it. Great. We'll stay away from the jelly beans. How about mixing out 50 grams of real dextrose in eight ounces of water and then chugging that sucker down for about five minutes? Okay, I'll give you that. But what about other alternatives? Hemoglobin A1c, we've already talked about that. What about just fasting glucose checks? Well, ACOG has a word about that as well. Fasting glucose checks is actually pretty reasonable. But remember that it's not just about fasting hyperglycemia, but postprandial hyperglycemia that can be the issue. So if someone is going to avoid all testing altogether, I mean, they're just not doing anything. I'm just not going to do it. Well, that's fine. And that's a patient's right. That's part of her autonomy and part of her informed refusal. But you still have another option to say, look, what about checking your sugars first thing in the morning and then two hours after meals? That's fine. And that's called continuous or just surveillance without testing. And that's reasonable because you can find these elevations, either fasting or postprandial. But fasting alone, well, again, while it's helpful, it's not the most accurate because you may miss postprandial hyperglycemia. But you've got to do something. So if they're not going to take any kind of diabetic testing, then at least offer them fasting blood sugar measurements. And the best would be fasting and two hours postprandial to make sure that you've got everything covered. Everybody good? So do the 50-gram oral glucose ch challenge as a glucola. But if that's ruled out, then mix your own. If that's ruled out, then try hemoglobin A1c because if it's abnormal, it's helpful. But if it's normal, it doesn't rule it out. Or do fasting blood sugars and two hours postprandial. All of these are in the bucket of alternatives to offer a patient who's just anti-50-gram glucola. Now, I do need to give a little bit of a warning or disclosure about home blood glucose monitoring. Yes, it's an alternative for those who just want to monitor their blood sugars and avoid the glucola at all costs. I get that. But it is another controversial way to screen for diabetes because there's just not a lot of data as opposed to doing the glucola drinks. Remember, it's limited in evidence. 
And as we end the podcast, a quick word about patient refusal. Remember that it is part of the AMA Code of Ethics to do informed consent, but it's also a patient's right for them to have informed refusal. So we can't force anybody to do this, and we can't shame them into doing it either. Having a test for GDM is considered evidence-based care because there really are substantial risks to both mothers and babies if abnormally high blood sugar levels are not identified and treated. However, the AMA and ACOG and SMFM and everybody else agrees that it's a basic human right to decline medical treatment or a medical diagnostic test. So we can't force anybody, once again, I know I've already said it, but we can't force anyone to get this test done. That's also in ACOG's Committee on Ethics that states, pregnancy does not lessen or limit the requirement to obtain informed consent or to honor a pregnant woman's refusal of a recommended treatment or even a diagnostic test. Ashley Nicole, thank you for your message. Take care of those patients down in Georgia, and I appreciate you for reaching out. Again, how great is this podcast community, guys, that we can actually reach out and we can kind of discuss these issues. And overall, all we're trying to do is take better care of our patients. So when we go to bed at night, unless we're on call and we don't actually go to bed, but when we do go to bed at night, we can say, you know, I really try to do something. I really try to impact somebody's care. I mean, that means something to me. So thank you all for being part of our podcast family. And we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.